Good morning, Leslie Avenue. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here today. Thank you all for being here. Thankful as well for those who are watching remotely. Thankful for all our brothers and sisters at Knowles. And also thankful for individuals who are watching as they travel. One very important person to me is listening as she travels to the east this morning. So wish her safe travels and all of us. Uh, good morning again on Mother's Day. I know we've talked about that. It's been mentioned. Happy Mother's Day. Moms are very important. After all, none of us would be here if it weren't for mom. <laughs> so moms are very, very important. But I want to look at a broader group of women today. I want to honor women, but beyond the simple, as we would say, biological mother. Uh, very, very important. Moms are incredibly important, often the, the stable point of family structure. But I want to talk a little bit more today about a broader group of women, not merely physical mothers. We'll honor physical mothers, but a bit broader than that. And by the way, a special thanks to James Jackson for ideas that led to today's uh, topic. I want to call that out. So I want to talk about women with a heart for children. We're going to be in Exodus chapters 1 and 2 this morning. Uh, first of all, women with a heart for children certainly would fall into the biology category. Women with a heart for children because of biological reasons, birth mothers, if you will. As we read part of what we had already earlier today, uh, Exodus 2, 1 through 4, during this time, a man from the tribe of Levi married a woman from his own tribe. She bore him a son. When she saw what a fine baby he was, and stop right there, there hasn't been a mother yet who would not have said, that's a fine baby. So I, I, I love that one. That's a fine little baby. Saw what a fine little baby he was, she hid him for three months. But when she could not hide him any longer, she took a basket made of reeds and covered it with tar to make it watertight. She put the baby in it and placed it in the tall grass at the edge of the river. This is the Nile River. This is all happening in Egypt. The baby's sister stood some distance away to see what would happen to him. Well, a couple of things going on here. The reason why she's having to hide the baby and the background for this is Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, if you will, had put out a decree that there were just getting to be too many of these people of Israel in his land working as slaves. And so he had instructed two of the midwives, women that helped uh, mothers as they were about to give birth, to actually, if a male child was born, to take him and throw him in the river. And so with this being a, a baby boy having been born, the mom wasn't trying to advertise that I've had a baby boy for fear that something would happen to the baby. And so that's what's going on. She's trying to hide the baby so he can get grown up enough that perhaps it won't be found by the forces of Pharaoh. She, at this point, in this narrative that we're reading here in Exodus, we don't even know the mom's name. We don't even know the mom's name. But we do know the baby's name, however. This baby we're talking about is... Come on, see, so y'all can do better than that. The baby we're talking about here this morning is... Moses. That's right. We're talking about Moses, the baby Moses. Continuing on. While the baby's in this little basket covered with pitch to make sure it doesn't sink, and the baby's sister is kind of watching out for it to make, see what happens with it, the king's daughter, Pharaoh's daughter, came down to the river to bathe while her servants walked along the bank. Suddenly she noticed the basket in the tall grass and sent a slave woman to get it. The princess opened it and saw a baby boy. 
He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister, now notice, that's the sister that's been watching after the little floating, bobbing thing in the water in the grass. She must have come close enough to Pharaoh's daughter and the other lady so she can talk to them. Then his sister said, shall I go and call a Hebrew woman to nurse the baby for you? Please do, she answered, the princess answered. So the girl went and brought the baby's own mother. The princess told the woman, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So she took the baby and nursed him. A couple of things about biology here. Turns out the mother's name was Jochebed. Jochebed. She had two older children. So when you're first reading in Exodus chapter 2, it might sound as if Moses was the first child she had. That's not true by reading everything else. Miriam and Aaron. Her name, Jochebed, means the glory of God. Names often had a strong meaning in those days. Her name means the glory of God. Did you notice how that even when she put the baby in the basket and put it out into the water, she had Miriam to continue to look after her from a distance. She knew she had to do something. Having it in the house with the baby squawking, as babies often do, was a recipe for that baby being found by forces that wanted to toss the baby in the river without a basket. So what a choice that turned out to be to entrust the obviously older sister here, Miriam, to look after this baby boy in the basket. When Moses was pulled from the water, Miriam stepped up and volunteered to find a nurse for the baby, Jochebed. Now, one of the reasons nursing is so important, I mean, if you've had a child, you know, the bottle time or nursing time comes like every 30 minutes, sometimes it seems like. But in this day and age, they didn't have formula you could go and buy off the shelf. And nursing often continued for several years, several years. God's providence allowed Jochebed to spend a great deal of time with her growing and developing baby boy, Moses. God's hand was present already in the life of Moses, but importantly, in the life of his mother, Jochebed. She truly is the glory of God with her children. But think of what Jochebed accomplished overall. She had raised a daughter, Miriam, who was so responsible, responsible enough to look after her baby brother and, perhaps in some ways more important, had the initiative to go and step up and talk to the princess to nurse her son, to allow Jochebed to nurse her own son. You know, one of the, the games that's played in scouting Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, is it attempts to give kids, younger people, the ability to talk to older people. Some children are born with that, but for a lot of children, talking to someone who's a lot older is very difficult for them. It's as if Miriam had been in scouting back here because she had no fear at all stepping up and going to a fairly important looking woman, I'm sure, and talking to her and volunteering I think I can find a Hebrew woman to nurse this child. And of course, with God's providence, that's Moses' own mother. All, I'm sure, because of how Miriam had been raised by her mother, Jochebed. Jochebed had also raised an older son who went on to become high priest to God's people and was God's mouthpiece to Pharaoh, Aaron. 
So Moses had an older sister, probably the oldest of the three, my suspicion is, Miriam, who went on to become a prophetess. Aaron, who was the high priest, and then Moses, the baby of the family. We don't usually think of Moses as the baby of the family, but he was. She also had a hand in preserving and raising for a while Moses himself. If you've had a baby in the household, then there's plenty of time as the baby's growing up to be talking to the baby and, and, talk, and telling them stories, and especially if you're going to wean the baby to uh, nurse the baby until the baby's three, four years old sometimes in that culture, that's a lot of time potentially to talk about God and talk about important things. You never know what's going to stay with a little baby. But at some point, she had to let Moses go back into the family of Pharaoh's daughter. What kind of mother raises three children with those kinds of gifts? I have a strong suspicion, a rather strong-handed mother who talked about God, who talked about things people needed to do. Here's the first point. All children, all children have gifts. And it's up to us and mothers to nurture children so they can find the gifts that they have and make a difference in our world. Look at the three children Jacobet had prophetess who was leading the women and singing, teaching the women in the wilderness. Aaron, the mouthpiece to Pharaoh, talking directly to Pharaoh and the high priest and Moses, who led his people following God to the promised land. Jacobet had a strong hand in those three children. Biology, it's important. Thanks for mothers. Also, another category of women with a heart for children. I want to look at adoption this time. Back to where we were talking about, Pharaoh's daughter had come to the water and she found this baby and said, ooh, right? I mean, we, everybody responds that way to a baby. Yeah, she recognized this is one of the Hebrew children, but she wanted this baby. History and tradition tells us she didn't have any children. This is one way to have a child, by adopting, if you will, the baby. So she took the baby, this is Miriam, took the baby to Jacobed who nursed him. Later, when the child was old enough, she took him, that's Moses, to the king's daughter who adopted him as her own son. She said to herself, I have pulled him out of the water, so I shall name him Moses, which is the Egyptian word for that very activity, drawn from the water. It's a strange, strange coincidence. That's also the Hebrew word for the same thing. Moses means the same thing in Egyptian and in Hebrew. Adoption. So here we have, in some ways, the first international adoption because this is an Egyptian woman adopting a Hebrew baby. And there weren't any airplanes this time. Nobody had to fly overseas for an international adoption. There are times when a new mother has circumstances where she needs to offer her child for adoption. May each mother and all of us, really truly, each mother and all of us, pray that children find an adoptive mother like Pharaoh's daughter, who loved that baby every bit as much as if she had given birth to the baby herself. Because adoptive mothers are important. Adoptive families. That is a gift of love in terms of adoption that fills a very important need. All children deserve love and kindness 
And adoption is, in so many ways, a lifetime gift. Pharaoh's daughter took Moses up from the reeds in the river to become a prince of Egypt. The important thing I want you to remember today, the second important thing, don't forget, as members of God's family, we are his adopted children. And there's no difference in love between an adoptive parent and a biological parent. God has taken us up from the depths of sin and given us an inheritance to live with him forever. Adoption equals love. Adoption equals love. The third category maybe is going to be a little more of a surprise, perhaps. We've had biology, we've had adoption. In the third category, we're actually going to back up to Exodus chapter 1. I want to suggest another group of women, if you will, with a heart for children will be those who advocate for children. Advocacy. Back to Exodus 1, 15 through 18. The king of Egypt, remember, had noticed there were too many of these Israelites around. Too many people. You can't have a, a billion slaves if there's 100,000 of you as Egyptians. Too many Israelites here. And he had given the, the instruction that the Hebrew babies were to be tossed in the river. So here the king of Egypt spoke to Shifra, Shifra, hard name for me, Shifra and Pua, the two midwives who helped the Hebrew women. Now what's a midwife? Think of it as a, a woman who is a nurse that helps mothers give birth, right? Give birth. So he said, when you help the Hebrew women give birth, he said to them, kill the baby if it's a boy, but if it's a girl, let it live. I've always thought either they're either killing the baby and where it's being born, or they take the baby away again and toss it into the river. Pretty hard instruction given to the midwife. Shepherd Kua. If it's a boy, kill it. That way there won't be too many Israelites living in the land. But the midwives were God-fearing. So they did not obey the king. Instead, they let the boys live. So the king sent for the midwives and said, why are you doing this? Why are you letting the boys live? They answered, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They give birth easily and the babies are born before any of us gets there. That's a lie. That's a lie. What they're saying is, the woman goes into labor and then five minutes later, that baby is here. We don't have time to get in a little chariot or whatever and get over to the house where the baby's being born. So that almost certainly is not true, but they're not really wanting to confess that we just can't do it. The babies are they're just something we cannot kill, cannot let die. As the Israelites, uh, because of this, because the midwives were God-fearing, God was good to them and gave them families of their own. And because they were refusing to carry out the order of Pharaoh, the king, the Israelites continued to increase and become strong. Finally, the king issued a command not to the midwives, but to all the people. Take every newborn Hebrew boy and throw him into the Nile River, but let all the girls live. Who are these women? Shipra and Pua. No, they're not from uh, the Lion King. Who was it? Timba and who? You know, it sounds like a name you would hear in the Lion King uh, movies. But it turns out Shipra is an Egyptian name and means beautiful. She may very well have been an Egyptian. Somehow or other, the Israelite people had impressed upon her the idea of there's one God, and it's the God of the Israelites because she was God-fearing. That's what we're told. 
Pua is a Canaanite name and simply means young girl. Two women who advocated for children and refused to follow the king's orders if it meant children would be put in danger. They had a heart for children to make sure that the children would live rough. Some issues are easy to advocate for. It's real easy to advocate for things that don't cost us very little time or money. You might be an advocate pretty easily for lower taxes. I mean, who wants higher taxes? Most of us don't. There are some issues that you say, yes, I'll advocate for that. I want, you know, uh, happiness for everybody. I'm going to be an advocate for happiness for everybody. But in our culture today, some things are not as easy to advocate for. But I think God's people, we as God's people, must advocate for life, unborn or born. We need to advocate for babies. We need to advocate for children. We need to be an advocate for teenagers. We need to be an advocate for adults, older people. There should be no distinction. We need to be advocates for life, period. And do everything we can to make life better for our neighbors. Who are we to cross on the other side of the street and ignore the plight of our neighbors, whether babies, whether young children, whether school-aged children? There are all sorts of things we can do because we need to make a commitment to life. How can we do that? Well, crisis pregnancy centers, women who are facing an unplanned pregnancy, let's give them options for life and make their lives as easy as we can. Adoption services. If a baby is gonna be offered for an adoption, let's find the baby a good home. Mothers in need who are raising the children on their own, that's a advocacy for life. Let's focus on youth in need, focus on our schools, focus on adult health, focus on elder care. We of all people should be advocates for life. Because life is the gift of God. And we, while we are alive, should be loving our neighbors enough to help people in need, regardless of their stage in life, regardless of their situation in life. We need to make a commitment to life. As we saw biological mother, Jacobet, as we saw an adoptive mother, the princess of Egypt, and as we saw Shipra and Pua, the midwives, being advocates for life and refusing to step away from making sure babies had an opportunity to grow up and experience life for themselves. Some children benefit because others advocate for them to be born and survive. The cause of a child is a great cause. It's a great cause. I want to urge all of us today to become advocates for life in all its stages, in all of its uh, manifestations. Advocate for life and just put a period after that. These were four women in three categories who had a heart for children. Biology, adoption, advocacy. We should all have a heart for children. And I also suggest to you have a heart for moms. So thank you to all the moms. I can't thank mine in person, but I tell you, she was a very patient woman, raising me, my brother, and my sister. So if you were blessed to have uh, your mom still here, please, please uh, 
let her know what she means to you. So when you look at Isaiah 49, 15, God, in a in somewhat unusual way, compares himself to a nursing mother. Look at this with me. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she would have no compassion on the son of her womb? Can a mom who's nursing a baby forget the baby? That's a rhetorical question. The answer should be, of course not. But he does say, God says, even these may forget, you may find sometime or other a woman who might somehow forget her nursing child. But look what God says. I will never forget you. That's a very true thing. God will never forget any of us. God waits for you today as the parent, as the father who brought life into existence. God wants you to come back to him and experience life as it's intended to be. God is always an advocate for people returning to him, seeking forgiveness, starting life anew. If you've never become a member of his family, that involves dying to your old ways and becoming a member of his family by understanding what Jesus did, turning away from living the way you used to live, and being buried in the waters of baptism, dying to your old ways, raised to walk as a brand new person. You can be born today and live life fresh. If you're already a member of his family, but life's been hard and you have made choices you really should not have made, God calls you back to recommit your life to living for him and much, much less for yourself. The way that happens is by asking for prayer. You can pray to God and ask for forgiveness yourself. We are more than happy to pray collectively for you if that is your need. Be someone not only with a heart for children, but a heart for life because that's the kind of heart God himself there's any way in which we can help you this morning, please come as we stand and sing.